Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Lucy Fowler, editor and art director of Mind the Gap. Lucy made the magazine as part of her fashion journalism course at Central St. Martins in London, and she uses it to showcase some of the unsung artists and designers and musicians and other various creative people who can be found outside England's London-centric bubble. This is a student magazine, but it absolutely stands up as a quality piece of independent publishing in its own right. And I'm very pleased to say we've got copies available to buy in the Stack Shop online. I think the thing that really makes it stand out is Lucy's frustration at the inequalities that she found in the creative industries and the way she's managed to harness that disillusionment to make something with real heart and which has helped her to find her way back into writing and creating. She's managed to make a really impressive magazine with very little funding and just a bit of help from her brother. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Lucy Fowler from Mind the Gap. Lucy, thank you so much for making the time to talk. Thank you so much for having me. So you are, I mean, you can always tell from a magazine when uh, at the front it's uh, written, edited and art directed uh, by one person. This sounds to me like you're a a bit of a one-man band. Yes, it was all me, basically. My brother did some of the photos, but yeah, it was all, yeah, as you say, edited, written, art directed and everything. And so you, uh, as I understand it, were at university in London. Yes. What then gave you the idea in the first place to make a magazine all about stuff outside London? Yeah, um, it was kind of a project I was brewing for a while because I made it for my, my degree, end of degree project. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the whole of the second year, I was kind of thinking of what to do and I knew it was going to be about... Britain, because that's what I knew. I've moved up and down the UK my whole life. I've lived north and south, so I, I know it pretty well. Um, and I just, whilst studying in London, uh, I just became kind of disillusioned with the whole kind of very London-centric bubble that I was in, and just kind of feeling, I mean, I come from quite a low-income family, and I, yeah, so many of my kind of conversations with friends and things would just turn into about money and rent and and I kept thinking of a question like what happens when London prices every artist out and what, what do they do where do they go what would be left and what, what do you do if you can't afford to make it here I mean especially in creative industries they're so kind of I found them so exploitative in that you know things like in unpaid internships and things if you can't afford to work for free you kind of get left behind and I was just kind of getting very disillusioned in all of this and just feeling that, that there's a whole load of places out there and people and communities that weren't getting the same kind of exposure that London does and I wanted to kind of give a platform to that and give those people voices and that's kind of where it all came from really. Mm -hmm. So there's a a fair amount of uh, anger and frustration uh, (laughs) motivating this thing but then you do a very good job of making sure the whole thing is really playful and fun. So how, how do you go about uh, making this into something that's not just kind of a, a, an angry student's diatribe? Yeah, um, I think actually it just came very naturally once I started um, kind of 
finding people and actually interviewing them and going places, it brought back a lot of positivity and I just felt really excited by it and really excited by the people I was finding. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of came through very naturally in that I was enjoying it a lot and kind of fight, renewing my love for writing and creating again. So <laughs> I guess I- it came through that. I think you can always tell when someone's having fun making a magazine. You can just see it on the page. So there's a, uh, I think one of the first things that really caught my attention actually is that your editor's letter uh, right at the front of the magazine is formatted as a Tesco receipt. Yeah. So, so and, and obviously like, you know, it's like playful and fun, but then you get the feeling, well, there's a comment in here as well about like how much it costs to make a magazine and also yeah. how really not glamorous it is <laughs> like, to yeah. be, for particularly like, you know, you were like trekking off around the country. So but yeah. like, what were some of the decisions that you were making as you went through the mag to give it this kind of character and, and, and feel? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that definitely is a part of it, it being very kind of realistic and I don't want to say gritty, but yeah, kind of gritty and um, that kind of was there right at the beginning. I knew I wanted to be like that. Um, I was doing fashion journalism as a degree and I was kind of bored of the very sleek, professional-looking magazines that you're surrounded by in fashion. Mm. And I wanted to bring back a bit of realism and playfulness, I guess, and kind of I, I I love DIY and kind of that aesthetic and I wanted to bring it in and right from the beginning of researching I was looking um, at visuals from things like kitchen sink realism and kind of documentary photographers and kind of trying to bring all that together in a big mesh and make it look as kind of um, yeah DIY as possible really mm. to give it that edge uh, and so fittingly your first issue is themed around DIY so uh, like the people who are like off in small towns or cities or wherever they are but like basically finding a way to create something for themselves yeah yeah that was it kind of hit me quite late on into making it that that was going to be the first issue but it made so much sense because that's what all of my work is about and that's what I'm about really is about making do with what you've got and making it work with nothing basically and I it it was such like a light bulb moment when I realized that was going to be the theme because it just brought everything together so perfectly Mm, mm, mm. and and the particular um kind of approach you've taken to it so the uh, uh in the um, introduction you talk about it as diy britain um the Mm. self-taught generation who grew up alongside the internet and it seems to me that the internet plays quite a big part in all of this how how do you see it for the kind of people that you were talking to and, and the work that they make yeah absolutely um yeah I, I mean I'm part of this generation that's kind of grown up using the internet as a tool for creating things and learning things I mean I taught myself everything from photoshop to kind of music production just by and mm. same with my brother he taught himself photography and everything just by using the internet as a tool to teach yourself Mm, mm, so mm. the people that I was talking to they were kind of saying the same a lot of the DJs that I interviewed they said yeah I I just learned it online and I think that's amazing it's kind of the first generation that's been able to do that yeah Um, yeah. and I wanted I don't feel like it's being captured enough there's a lot of negativity around the internet which is there's a lot of fair criticism but I think there's that part of it that's really good and really brings out 
creativity in people that might not have had the chance to do it otherwise. Yeah. You know, if you come from nothing, you still have the chance to teach yourself now. And I think that's amazing. There's that quote from Bugteeth. Uh, is she? She's a musician. Is she based in yeah. Norfolk? Is that right? Norwich. Norwich. Norwich right. Yeah. Um, and so she she says you don't even need a band now. You can just do it yourself. All you need is a laptop and a guitar. Yeah, I love that quote. I think that encapsulates the whole magazine really. And so, how close do you find that to actually the magazine making process then? Yeah, I mean, it was all made on my very old <laughs> janky laptop um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah it, it came very close to that and, and a lot of it was scrappily made i mean the scans and things were made on a very broken printer and especially during lockdown i didn't have the uni facilities that i probably would have had if lockdown didn't happen um so yeah it was all very much made diy <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Right yeah. at the back of the mag, there's a photo, I presume, of you sitting yeah. on your bed, like literally just surrounded by like books mess. and magazines. Yeah, yeah, mess. Yeah, but the the sort of like that's what you need to make this magazine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I was actually the so when I was uh, first reading that introduction, one of the first things that came to mind uh, is a quote that I'd read by Nick Logan, um, the guy who made the face. Um, and him talking about the days when, uh, you know, if you wanted a particular type of coffee or if you wanted, uh, I don't know, to sort of like buy a particular type of music, you had to literally get on a train and go to London because that's where that stuff was sold. And uh, you see, like my first thought was, well, you know, we clearly don't live in that world anymore. And, you know, sort of the these creative people are subject to different constraints. But then I was really interested that, you profile um, Karen Ablaze, so yeah. uh, a woman who was making zines in the 80s, and so actually completely subject to those same kind of restraints. Am I right in saying that that's the only uh, like piece in the magazine which is kind of um, archive, if you like? Yeah, yeah, that was the only kind of his history one. Um, I, don't, it, I found her just by rifling through a whole back before lockdown I was writing to be like an arch zine archive and I just came across her zine and I just I loved it and I felt that her zine in particular was very much very close to the, the theme of this issue and she did everything herself and she kind of I mean she got a group of friends later on that would kind of help her out with the design and things but she was such an amazing woman and she um yeah I just and I loved I mean, the whole DIY came from that kind of era and it was kind of paying respect to that in a way, I guess. And so she yeah. was um, in Leeds covering the music scene like in the 80s. Yeah. And, and into the 90s, I think. Yes, quite, um, quite early into the 90s. And and the and you note the so I mean I should say I I'd, I'd never heard of it before I came across the magazine so like you know I really enjoyed like being introduced to this. Yeah. Um, and you say that, so issue 10 uh, of Ablaze was published as a digital booklet in, in 1993. And that, that just made me think, like, what, I mean, have you seen that digital booklet? And, and how does that compare to the print version? Yeah, um, it was actually kind of, um, it was still print, but it was made to look kind of digital. Um, I have seen it, and it, it definitely differs from the first issue, which is very kind of scrappy, handwritten. Um, lots of 
scrappy sketches and things. Right. And it just showed this kind of huge shift in what was going on, particularly at the beginning of the 90s. I, I I took that to mean that it was like literally like a CD ROM or something that like maybe you'd put in the computer, but it said that was a print um, issue as yeah. well, right? Okay, um, okay. Yeah, that was still print, but it, it had kind of been made on her friend's very slow, massive computer, so it <laughs> had this digital look to it. Um, and and yeah. and so then issue eleven came out in two thousand fifteen, but mm-hmm. she found that she couldn't sell it because. I mean, she gives the example of Rough Trade as this like independent record shop where she used to sell 100, 200 copies before, but then in like you know in the 2015 she found that it just wasn't there. Mm. Yeah. How how, um, how does how does like how does that compare to your experience of someone making a print magazine now and trying yeah, to sell it? It's interesting. Um, I think it showed how different kind of DIY is from back when she used to do it. Mm. And I think it's very much now um, that you have to kind of, you have to kind of be like a one man band really. You have to publish it kind of yourself and put it online and get it out there that way. Mm. And it doesn't really work in the same way that you, that she used to do it where she would kind of give it to, yeah, rough trade say, and they would, yeah, it's all changed. And I think, yeah, that quote's a good, it shows just how much it's changed, really. And I guess also the physical thing that you're selling has changed as well. So, you know, she was in the generation of literally photocopying stuff and stapling it together. And like that was the zine. Whereas, you know, you've come into a world where you just accept that to make a printed thing, actually, you had to have it professionally printed. You had to have it yeah. bound. And it's a much more of like a, it's a magazine. It's not it's not a zine. Mm, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, we were actually kind of, when we were kind of presenting our final projects, they would kind of question you, why are you doing print? Because it, you know, it's not quite as relevant anymore and people don't see it as how they used to see it. It's more of like a luxury to have a print thing now. And so it was very important when I was making the whole thing that I was thinking about how it would go online and how it would have its kind of online platform with it. Because, yeah, it, it's not the same as how she, when she would do it, she would kind of you know, hand out zines at gigs and things. And you can't really do that now. It's very much, you would go, you would either buy it online and have it as this very treasured piece of, um, treasured book kind of thing. And it, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so you, you mentioned uh, that you were being uh, kind of grilled by your lecturers there, so asking you why you'd chosen print. This obviously was made uh, as part of your degree. How yes. how did it go down with the examiners? Very well. I got first. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, yeah, they, they had doubts at the beginning about the kind of execution of it, but, yeah, they were really, really pleased with it at the end. Well, um, congratulations. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. So we're, we're, whereabouts were you studying? Uh, Central St. Martins. Yeah. Okay. And so you can I presume then that you've now graduated and you're no longer a student? Yeah, I'm now a real adult. <laughs> <laughs> a real adult in the real world. <laughs> so so where then, where do you go next with this magazine? Will, will there be another issue? Yeah, I mean, I definitely want there to be. Um, I think I'm, at the moment, I'm kind of taking a break and getting used to, yeah, being not a student anymore um, and I definitely kind of burnt myself out it's a lot of work doing 
the whole magazine yourself. Mm. Um, but if I do bring it back and I want to, it would definitely be more of a collaborative thing where I would get other writers and other photographers um, in more perspectives and more voices. I think that would be really important. But I think the main kind of step next would be to get it more of an online presence. I'd love to make some kind of platform for it where I can do, I, I think it would make it more accessible that way mm, and then mm. focus on the print. But yeah, I definitely want there to be more. <laughs> that That's interesting because you also, um, so you say in the introduction, um, you're talking about um, Britain uh, and you talk about it as split by leavers and remainers, class gaps, ethnicity pay gaps, and this new two meter gap stuck on the floors of Tesco to remind us there's a virus in the air. So, I mean, the, this was a magazine that was in process for you when COVID came along and, and lockdown came along. The, I mean, do, do you feel like, I mean, you obviously had to respond to it in terms of the constraints it placed on you, but do you feel this is a different magazine to what you had in mind originally because of the virus? Yeah, I mean, I it kind of hit. I was lucky that I started it quite early because I wanted I wanted to start as soon as possible. I started it back in September, so I did a few photo shoots and things back then. And I'm really glad I did because um, I scheduled so many. I scheduled a whole trip in March of going Nottingham, Leeds, um, Manchester, Barnsley to meet people. And I obviously had to cancel it all. And I'm so glad that I managed to get some photo shoots because it made it made it um, work, but yeah, it definitely has changed from what it was originally. And I would have had way more, um, way more photos and way, uh, little kind of pieces about places. It would have been quite focused on places, I think. Ah, uh, really? Um, okay. That's yeah, more about kind of regions, and um, I definitely wanted to go further than cities, but with the restraints I had to kind of keep it within certain cities just to make it easier to find people really but obviously when you're giving yourself the the fairly broad remit of you know this is kind of anyone in Britain outside London you, there's a danger there that that can be so wide that it's kind of paralyzing so how how did you begin the process of actually searching for these people yeah, it did feel quite paralysing. Um, I knew right at the beginning that it was it was going to be all down to who I find and who's going to be in there. Um, and I started just by making enormous lists of who I wanted to talk to. And I, as much as I hate Instagram, it became quite useful in mm. that I would scour through it and just find people in the middle of nowhere or just find a particular city or particular town and just scroll through people that way. And then once I'd found a couple bands or artists I wanted to interview I would I would go to them and then say is there anyone else that I should check out whilst I'm here and that helped a lot especially with Norwich I found myself kind of accidentally breaking into the scene there which was great just by <laughs> word of mouth really. There, there seems to be a couple of like little hubs in the magazine so uh, like the Norwich is there, Manchester through like the and um, the School of Art and the universities the I mean if you were going to have made that magazine the way you first intended, did you have an idea of which were the, the cities and the regions that you were going to go to? Yeah, I think I did. I, I Originally, I was going to do it, um, I was going to split it into three and do uh, rural, suburbs and city. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it would I can't remember exact places now because it was about a year ago um so yeah I had kind of that plan and it ended up just having to be mainly cities I think and there were a couple of small towns in there mm-hmm. um yeah I, I can't remember exact places now but it was it was going to be quite a, a wide range I think so then say you uh, managed to get issue two together you say you want to have more of uh, a focus uh, on online and digital what would you what would be the thing that that drew you back to it what would be the thing that you really wanted to either do differently or maybe improve on from this one hmm, that's interesting um, I think maybe kind of uh, it would be interesting to see how people bounce back creatively from COVID. That would definitely be probably a focus point of issue two. Mm. Um, and I think just once once a kind of theme settles in my lap, I think it will come together quite nicely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe if I if I come across a particular kind of um, subculture or something that's sprung up somewhere then that will probably lead it as well or perhaps like a, a particular music movement or something like that but it's difficult I, I yeah it sounds like the sort of thing that you just need to kind of relax into and just the, yeah, uh, yeah. allow it to come to you fortunately you've got lots of time on your hands because yeah. you're, <laughs> you're not a student anymore so whereabouts are you living now um, at the moment, I'm just back at my mum's in Sussex, but I'm hoping, ho- I'm hoping to save off and move back to somewhere at some point. I'm not sure really. <laughs> Figuring it out. <laughs> well, listen. Really good luck with making that move to wherever it ends up, and if you do end up making a second issue, good luck with that too. Uh, and I'm really enjoying this first one. Thank you so much. Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Lucy for speaking with me. I hope she does find her way into making that second issue of Mind the Gap. I think she's totally right that there's going to be a lot of good material for magazine makers to get their teeth into as we start to pick up the pieces and figure out what the world looks like after coronavirus or even during coronavirus. And I'd really like to see her take on the ways that it's affected us. As I said at the start, we do have some copies available in the Stack shop, so if you want to see Mind the Gap for yourself, head over to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop and you can pick up a copy there while we still have them in stock. As always, I'd love to hear what you think to this episode or just the podcast in general. So if you have anything you'd like to share, um, please drop me a line on steve at stackmagazines.com. Or, of course, you can leave a comment via whatever player you're using to listen to this. Uh, And if you follow us while you're there, we'll be able to deliver all of our future episodes to you as soon as they're ready. Thank you very much for listening to this one. And we'll be back with another episode next week.